0: for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 30th, 2010. I'm having a hard time keeping up again. It's that heresy hurricane that's blowing through. Yeah, I have to be selective. I I gotta, you know, start using smart bomb technology here on the program. I haven't figured out how to... um, use a smart bomb. I'm not even sure I know how the metaphor works exactly. Oh Well, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough and I am your servant in Jesus Christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Well, I did it. I got the uh, the standalone copy of... Uh, my sermon review from Stephen Furtick's uh Sun Stands Still, a New Way to Pray uh sermon. And uh if you uh if you want to add it to your website or blog, all you have to do is visit the website, fightingforthefaith.com. And what you will see there is um for the September there's a September 30th uh posting that uh there's a a media player that kind of looks like a YouTube player. When if you find that thing hit the play button then hit the menu button on that thing and there's an embed code if you want to uh, add it to your website or blog and then if those of you who follow me on Twitter you know that what I've begun to do is uh, Stephen Furtick and uh you know the folks uh, over at Multnomah Press have been uh, basically uh trying to use social media ha- trying to use Twitter to you know to get the buzz out and let people talk about the uh, the Sun Stand Still book well and so what they're doing is they're using the uh, twitter hashtag uh, ha- uh #sunstandstill all squished together as one word and so i've begun uh posting links back to my critique of uh, Furtick's uh, sermon over at twitter and you know so if you see if you follow me on twitter and you see that i've put something with the the hashtag sunstandstill in it um what what I'm doing is is uh I'm basically quoting verses that uh, that undermine and expose the faulty premises of the book itself and so uh and then I link back to my exposé piece really with the hope that some people would uh, listen to it and would understand that really what we're dealing with it here is kind of like a well uh, one way to describe it is is that uh Furtick's book is kind of like a rehash of the prayer of jabez i mean that it uses the same allegorical type bible twisting to draw you know prosperity ish type of conclusions and uh, i you know i don't know if he has the same uh, foundation uh, f- you know for success that uh, i forget the guy who wrote the prayer of jabez anyway that the prayer of jabez book had before it came out you know, I and you know, but the thing is, is that this is another one of those uh, ear scratching type messages. And already, uh, Furtick's um, uh, f- uh, followers have started attacking me. Uh, one guy actually, he tweeted me and he said, "Who appointed you watchman on the wall? You, you, your ignorant comments are divisive, and I pray that the Lord will rebuke you." <laughs> I mean I was so tempted to say well who appointed you watchman on the wall <laughs> Yeah because really that's the funny thing is the the person who says thou sh- didn't uh, d- you shall not judge thou shalt not judge you know judge not lest you be judged those people who are pointing that out to you while well, they're judging you while they're saying it in other words they're not correctly understanding what Jesus's point was in that thing but um this gentleman who you know s- you know sent me that really <clears throat> inflammatory Tweet, and uh, you know he's engaged in ad hominem attacks. He's called me a moron, and uh, and uh, he he you know and basically they're not dealing with the substance of my critique. That's okay. They're far gone. You know God's word doesn't return to him void. And when people engage in ad hominem attacks, it shows you that they don't know what they're talking about. And uh, they don't have a defense, so the only thing they can resort to is attacking people. You know, talking about that, I mean, I should switch right into the program. Uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to get to yesterday that I didn't get to, uh, you know, I'll just dive into the program and do it this way here. Um, didn't get to talk about Ergen Kaner yesterday. And... Um, there's a headline from the uh, the news in advance uh, newsadvance.com in Lynchburg Virginia headline reads caner defends background in bristol speech this is by david Mc, uh, mcgee of uh, of the uh, news advance uh, website and watch what caner does remember Ergen caner is the uh, former head <clears throat> of the seminary there at liberty uh, in uh, lynchburg virginia and uh, well, uh, you know, it turned out that he was, let's just say, making stuff up about his childhood and uh, his experience in Islam. You know, I mean, made he made claims about you know being trained as a terrorist and things like that. And when people started doing some fact checking uh, to see if his story held any water, they found out the bucket that he's been carrying was just shot full of holes. And 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 if anything, it was kind of like a Mike Warnke uh, type of story all over again. Well, the folks there at Liberty, they conducted a uh, an investigation and they found that Ergen Cater made um, factual statements that were untrue. Yeah, some kind of bizarre thing like that, to which I basically made. Well, if we're going to be talking this way, then I want everybody to know that I am an underweight fat guy i mean it just makes perfect sense anyways uh, Kaner has finally uh, come back out so to speak and is uh, trying to redeem himself by the way uh, not only is he no longer the head of the seminary there um according to the student newspaper uh you know i i i've uh, recently read their uh, uh their newspaper blog uh, the, well, actually there's a this, there's an this unofficial student newspaper uh blog type uh website and uh, er, you know he cleared his office out, and he's still a professor there, but he's kind of teaching the online courses. So I don't know if he's even really on campus. But um, the the dateline reads Bristol: uh, A controversial professor and evangelical Ergen, uh, minister, Ergen Kainer, was unapologetic on Friday, defending his record while criticizing Islam. His critics. And the media. Caner, the former dean of uh, Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary in Lynchburg, spoke to a crowd of about 500 at Bristol's 12th annual prayer breakfast at the Holiday Inn Hotel and Suites. Sounds like quite a venue. Early this year, (laughs) I shouldn't laugh because we're thinking about uh, doing a pirate Christian radio conference and... uh, We might end up doing it at Motel 6 because of our budget. Anyway, that's a different story. We'll talk about that when the time comes. Anyway, earlier this year, a controversy erupted in the media and on the Internet concerning some of Kaner's claims about being a teenage Muslim who was trained as a terrorist and comments he made during speaking engagements. Quote, we saw it—the controversy coming. My brothers and I have been dealing with it for years. This just happened to bounce big, and, and I paid no attention. News means little to me, and the web as well. It's just bloggers for the most part who are just frustrated people in their basements," Kaner said after the program. <laughs> Notice he's not dealing with the uh, the substance of you know. Answer the question, Ergen. Were you trained as a terrorist or not? I don't think it matters who's asking the question. I mean, so let, let me let me let's let's hold on a second. Let's kind of work this out here. This is what we call an ad hominem attack. Okay. You ask a question, and you want somebody to back up factually something that they've said. Let's pretend for an instance. I, I, I'm, I'm going to make the public assertion here at Fighting for the Faith. This is not true, but I'm going to make the public assertion that um, I was trained by um, Israeli intelligence officials to be a counter terrorist spy. That it, that in reality, I lead a double life. Similar to that of 007, without the uh, the women, okay. And uh, what you don't realize is is that when I'm not on the air, I'm actually being flown by intelligence agencies all around the world to help them uh, in counter terrorist activities, and that I'm actually probably the world's leading counter terrorist spy on the planet. <laughs> yeah, that just sounds stupid, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I just uh, anyway. And so uh, you know. In, 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 let's just say that, you know, I, and what happens is after making a statement like that, people start saying, you know, Roseboro, we want to have you on our television. Will you come on Larry King Live? Will you will you come to our church and, and address all of our people and tell us about your, your work for the Lord and counterintelligence? Oh, yes, I'd be happy to. And then I start making up all kinds of stories to, you know, to make it sound like, oh, the Lord is using me in a powerful counterintelligence kind of way. <laughs> and then... Somebody, let's let's just say that there's a kid. Okay, he hasn't quite grown up yet. He's 20 years old. He attends his local community college. In fact, in his religion class, he has that uh, that that quacky guy that uh, we like to make fun of in those uh, spoof videos as his religion teacher and. And you know he really had he can't keep a job for very long, and he's kind of overweight and pretty much kind of a loser kind of kid. And he came and heard me speak one time because oh he was inspired by the counterintelligence stories that I told. But then he started digging around, you know, you know, trying to see if some of the dots connected. You know, it, it started off innocently, he just wanted to do a little fact checking. Maybe something didn't quite ring right in his ears, and so he started digging around and. And then he found out that the dots couldn't be connected, you know, that, you know, the the claim that I had lunch with Yasser Arafat last year doesn't seem to pan out because Arafat's been dead for a couple of years, you know, things like that, you know. Um, And so what happens is, is that uh, let's say that he decides to write a blog post, you know, because, you know, he's a. Uh, yeah, an American type kid, and he's really well versed in technology and social media and things like that. And so he puts a blog post together saying, "Hey, you know, Roseboro's claim to being a counterintelligence agent uh, somewhere, you know, to the tune of uh, 007 really isn't panning out. You know, because you know, here's what he said, uh, you know, uh, uh, last year that he had." breakfast with Yasser Arafat and uh, and Idi Amin and and uh, you know just strange things like that and and when I started checking you know these people have been dead for a while I'm not sure how he had lunch with them and so what happens is is that let's say somebody in the media you know you know after my appearance on CNN and things like that decided that they you know it's like wait yeah Chris is making those claims and they don't really seem to be panning out so what happens is is that you know, a controversy starts to brew on the internet, right? And uh, and you know, people are talking, and and maybe the blog post is going viral. Maybe a YouTube video or two is put together with me making these public claims to being a counterintelligence spy, and uh, and the th- and all these supposed things that I've you know claim I've been doing, you know, like. Uh, you know, saving John F. Kennedy from being assassinated—weird stuff like that—and then, and then when you and then when you look at the facts, you go, "Wait a second, John F. Kennedy actually was assassinated. How can Roseboro say that he he wasn't even alive then? How is that even po-? you know st- stuff like that?" And so, what happens is is that this starts to brew, and then you know the questions start coming at me. I mean, at, at this point, people are saying, "Hey, wait a second, this story isn't panning out." So when it finally builds to the crescendo point where I can remain silent no more. Okay, because people are demanding that I say, you know, that I address these uh, discrepancies in this, you know, regarding the facts and then the stories that I've been telling. Um, All I do is so then what I do is I turn around and say, you guys, I listen, what happens on the blogosphere? It's not important to me. You know I I I am I'm used to controversy. I'm absolutely just used to controversy because you see God is using me mightily and so it doesn't surprise me that there's people out there who are trying to take me out in order to stop what God is doing through me powerfully. And plus, I mean, the people who are attacking me, they're just bloggers. And everybody knows that bloggers are basically overweight uh, kids who've never grown up, who live in their mom's basement, and probably still have food uh, you know, up on the shelves you know, because they were planning to survive Y2K. You can't listen to anything they say. You can't trust them. They're just a bunch of uh, social malcontent. You know, if they would just go and get a job, they wouldn't be, you know, blogging like this. They they need to go and find something real to do instead of eating at McDonald's. Maybe they should try to work at McDonald's. Is that really is that really addressing the uh, the questions that were being asked? Isn't that exactly what Ergen Kaner just did on Friday? It's the exact same thing. It's an ad hominem, it's a red herring, and it doesn't address the issues. It doesn't address the questions and the discrepancies in the stories that he told. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, God is using Ergen Kaner mightily, but I don't think that Ergen Kaner would be um, the subject of such controversy if he hadn't have made statements that don't pan out in reality, had fabricated, well, part of his personal life history, uh, which could so easily be shot down. So yeah, again, so the idea here is, is that when you point up when you point out a valid issue, that somebody's twisting the Bible or they're not teaching something correctly, when somebody turns around and says, you're a moron, you're a gunky head, you're just stupid, you're a blogger, you're a X, Y, or Z, that's not, that's not a response. That's an evasive tactic uh, used by people in order to avoid having to deal with the substance of the questions being asked or the challenges being made to what's being said or done by the pastor. And, of course, sadly, in our day, there's people that when you know when the pastor comes back or the person comes back with these types of, quote, defenses, people will say, see, he did answer the, that person. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He evaded the issue. He evaded the issue. The thing. So ad hominem attacks are not responses. They're evasion tactics. And uh, generally, and this is not always hard and fast because all of us are human and we make stupid mistakes. But generally, the person who has to resort to an ad hominem attack is generally the one who's, well, well they might be in the wrong that's just let's just put it that way deal with the substance of what's being said deal with the substance of being what is what's being said and um and if somebody can't deal with the substance of it They've got the problem, not you, for pointing it out. I, you know what I always like is when people accuse me of being divisive because I'm pointing out that somebody's teaching false doctrine. And another rule that I, I operate from, it's not the person who faithfully and biblically points out the false doctrine and false teaching and Bible teaching that's the one being divisive. It's always the one teaching the false doctrine and twisting the Bible that is being divisive. Yeah, that's... That's what the Bible actually teaches. So, all right, moving along here. um, I I wanted to talk about this yesterday. Actually, I've been wanting to talk about this for a couple of days, but I I just keep you know, it's my own fault i mean i talk about other things i get going and you know and and then the time runs out yeah it's 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 me it's not you it's 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 my problem not your problem i get it i get it it's me but uh, one of the stories i've been meaning to and intending to get to was this bishop betty long story and um uh, to kind of start off the conversation i'm going to play for you uh, audio from a video uh, from a news segment that was played on cbs's the early show and, uh, you know, and it, we'll we'll kind of use this to kick off the story. So here is um, uh, here's one of the CBS News correspondents uh, uh, talking about uh, Bishop Eddie Long down there in Atlanta, Georgia. Here we go.
1: Bishop Eddie Long, the pastor of a nationally known megachurch in suburban Atlanta, says he is fighting the sex allegations against him. CBS News correspondent Mark Strassman joins us from Lithonia, Georgia, this morning with more. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Erica. This is no ordinary church, and this is no ordinary scandal. At stake is a multi-million dollar religious and business empire and allegations of a sinning pastor. I'm under attack. Outside Atlanta, Bishop Eddie Long is also under great scrutiny. Is he a sexual sinner, a seducer of teenage boys in his ministry? This is probably the most difficult time in my entire life. In civil suits, four young men claim Long their pastor first adopted them as his spiritual sons, then seduced them with scripture, cars, and jewelry for sex.
2: The part the parents didn't know is that part of being a son was actually an abusive, emotional, and physical relationship of their children.
1: All four teens were older than Georgia's age of consent. But the allegations have rocked New Birth Missionary Baptist Church one of America's most influential
0: megachurches with 25,000 members. Okay, did you hear 25,000 members? A social conservative, Long has
1: repeatedly attacked homosexuality as sinful. In his denial during Sunday services, Long never said flat out he was innocent of the allegations. I have never in my life portrayed myself as a perfect man. But I am not the man that's being portrayed on the television. Most people
0: in his congregation seem to support him.
2: He said, but this I did not do. And I
0: believe him. I feel actually he didn't say that. Like David against
1: Goliath. But I got five rocks and I haven't phoned one yet. Long preaches the gospel of prosperity. God wants you to be rich, and he flaunts his own wealth, lives in a mansion, drives a Bentley, flies around in a private plane. Now, four young men want to take a chunk of that wealth for what they say was emotional pain and fraud. Erica? Mark Strassman joining us this morning. Mark, thanks.
0: Okay, so that, that, I mean, we're all familiar with the story. I mean, it's it's all over the national media. So let me uh, let me just ask a couple of questions here, Okay. Yeah, I've talked about homosexuality. Everybody knows that I believe that homosexuality is clearly taught as a sin in the scripture and that Christ died for it. And we were to call all of our neighbors, both heterosexual and homosexual, to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. I don't even think that's really the issue here for me. Um, in fact, that's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of different angles that we could cover on this thing, and one is is that um, it's from the story. It's clear that uh, Bishop Eddie Long is a prosperity preacher, and he flaunts his wealth. And as a result of it, we're dealing with a false teacher, a false prophet, a man who's mishandling God's word. I mean, that's that's one of the angles that we can talk about here. But I keep coming back to this 25,000-member megachurch, 25,000-member megachurch. Now, there's not a lot of megachurches that can boast numbers like that. I mean, I, maybe a dozen around the country, and then there's others you know, in other parts of the world that are much larger than that. I mean— I mean, but – so here's a question that I have. Um, Do you think that Eddie Long was really, truly shepherding anybody in his congregation? You see, pastors – the term pastor is a shepherding term. It means to be a shepherd. Was he really shepherding anybody? I mean if anything, this scandal from my point of view is an argument in favor of small churches you know congregations you know of a few hundred at most you think on why yeah real simple because shep you know the reality is Christ called us to make disciples, and the the primary office for making disciples is the office of pastor, and that's a shepherding job. And i got to tell you, one of the things that has absolutely been um, so valuable in my life, you could not even put a price tag on it if you tried. Um, In fact, I will even go far so far as to make the statement, I wouldn't be doing radio today. I wouldn't be doing this program or Pirate Christian Radio if it weren't for the fact that... Uh, The men who have been my pastors for the past 20 years, every congregation I've attended for the last 20 years have been small congregations where not only do, did I have access to my pastors, my pastors, to put it a better way, they had access to me and they made sure to use it. And they weren't, they weren't guys who sat on the sidelines, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for me to avail myself of their shepherding skills. These were guys who at times actually got in my face. These were guys who at times, if I would miss a a couple of weeks of church, they were knocking on my door. I'm not kidding. One pastor in particular, one I don't talk about much, who was the most involved in my life, um, is a gentleman by the name of Kevin Colander. Kevin Colander, you—I mean, seriously—I mean, this guy, I, I, he his only desire is to s- quietly serve the flock that God has called him to. I don't think this guy has a single aspiration bone in his body. In fact, I've been kind of bugging him for the last two years to get his sermons so that I can play them on the Preaching Christ program. Um here on pirate Christian Radio, and he has always found an excuse to not send them along I don't think he he really is interested in in um in in he, he that's just not how he thinks, but when I was a member of First Lutheran Church in Lake Elsinore, California, okay, small congregations i mean humble congregation, not a lot of resources, but man, I knew my pastor and more importantly, my pastor knew me. And there was a time in my life where I was struggling with, you know, some, several really just you know, several things that I was just really down and depressed and just really kind of in, you know, one of those dark times in my life. And as a result of it, there was a couple of weeks that I didn't go to church. And I, I, I kid you not, I was, you know, I, I at that time I worked from home and I was sitting, I was in my home office. Uh, which happened to be my living room at the time because the house we had didn't. I, there wasn't another. There wasn't a spare bedroom to work from for my own office. So my office was downstairs in, in the living room, and I, I'm sitting there working on my computer. I was a graphic artist at that time, and I'm and I look out my window, and there's Kevin Colander walking up my my walkway. I'm thinking, what's going on? And he walks right up to my walkway. He can't see me because I can see through the curtains, but he can't see through the curtains. He, you understand what I'm saying? He knocks on the door, and I, as I go to the door. I, Hello? Yeah, Chris, I'm here to uh, find out if you're okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Why do you ask? You haven't been to church for a couple weeks, and I'm very concerned about you. I've been praying about you, and I know that if you're not coming to church, there's something wrong. We need to talk. Talk about... You know, (laughs) now some people think that sounds like an invasion of privacy and stalking. Yeah, it sounds like all of that, doesn't it? But you know what? That's exactly what I needed. Exactly what I needed. And you know, to this day, I have such a good relationship with uh, with Pastor Swirla. I call him on a semi regular basis to ask him theological questions. Am Am I reading this text right? Did I understand this Greek phrase? Can you tell me about this or that? And every time I call Pastor Swirla, I mean, I. We end up talking for like an hour and a half, two hours, and so many times I, I just kick myself because um, you know, I, I feel like I should call him up and, and hit the record button on my, uh, you know, on the phone and 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 use it as a an, as an episode of fighting for the faith, you know, so that you all can hear what happens when when I'm wrestling with a text and you know and and you know and the, the back and forth that goes on and the wisdom that comes from these men of God who are obviously farther along in the Christian faith and more mature than than I am I depend upon that I deeply depend upon that and so the question I have is that when you have a congregation of 25,000 people seriously what kind of access what kind of shepherd do you shepherding do you think is really going on and the sad part is is that bishop Eddie Long under the pretense of you know being a spiritual shepherd and father to these boys ended up sexually preying on them. I mean, that's the, that's the really sick and sad, terrible, twisted part of it. But now we've got this dilemma. Yeah. Let's pretend for a moment, and I understand we're pretending, this is a fiction, uh, that Eddie Long actually correctly preached the word. He doesn't, but let's pretend that he did. Okay, So we have a congregation of 25,000 Christians who actually believe correctly and things like that, and they understand the biblical gospel, and they're not engaged in heresy. Um, 25,000 people are there and now he's, um, he's faltered sexually. Okay. He's had a major fall. Okay. That is a big problem. Okay. You're going to have a, you're going to have a whole bunch of people who might, um, have a crisis of faith as a result of this. I mean, when this happens, these sins have a, have a way of really kind of being like a tsunami running through a congregation and they, and people get washed away. You know, and 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 in this case, twenty five thousand members. I mean, this this has the potential to really hurt the faith of a lot of people. Whereas, if we went back to the biblical model of a shepherd, and that means, yeah, you know, and I mean, realistically, one shepherd could really only really effectively shepherd correctly, really, hundred to one hundred and fifty people. That's not very much. That's not very many people. But if we went back to a model like that, okay, the model that's been used for 2,000 years, um, then what happens is, is that when a pastor falters, it's not going to wipe out thousands of thousands of people or have the potential to destroy the faith of thousands and thousands of people. Granted, you know, 150 people— is still th- those are souls that we're talking about but i think in that kind of a context i think that there's there's much more intimacy and real relationship um when it comes to you know for restoration and all the things that have to happen in a, in a painful situation like that and i think it's more effectively done in that smaller of a context here with 25,000 people i mean what's their relationship to this pastor He's just the celebrity dude. Uh, I mean, it, it. I mean, the relationship is the same kind of relationship I I have with you know somebody who's uh, who's a television celebrity. You know, one of the programs I watch. You know, is MythBusters. I mean, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. Okay, listen. i we we all know this. If you're shocked by this revelation, I apologize. But yes, I'm a nerd, and MythBusters is one of the nerdy shows that I tend to watch. Anyway, that being said, um, you know, you, you think of the two guys of the myth, you know, Jamie and uh well, I can't, I can't remember their names now. <laughs> Jamie Heineman and uh, anyway. Uh I mean, I don't have a relationship with these guys. I've never met the mythbusters. But I mean, isn't that pretty much the same relationship that people have in a mega church with a high-profile pastor like that? They never get to meet him. They might on occasion during a special event get to shake their hand, maybe get an autograph. But isn't that the same kind of relationship that people have with celebrities on the television? I, I, I seriously think there is something very wrong, really, 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 really wrong with a, a pastoral relationship where you don't know the pastor. Now, I can hear some of you going, well, wait a second, Chris. We don't have a relationship with you. This is a radio program. <laughs> I'm not your pastor. Okay, I am. I the same, and I'm perfectly fine with this idea that many of you we've never met, we may never meet, but I'm sure going to make sure that there's opportunities for you to, for you and I to meet. Okay, but uh, but the reality is, is that uh, uh, the relationship we have is not pastor parishioner. I I'm not your pastor. I'm a theologian and an apologist and a radio personality. And, uh, you know, I I get all that. But, um, you know, when it comes to the pastoral office, I'm trying to make the case that going back to the biblical model of pastor, uh, of shepherd and sheep, small flocks, that might actually be a, a wiser way to go because, well, that wisdom doesn't come from man. It actually comes from Christ. Something to think about. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
1: Years are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
3: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> circus church my name is rex and if you study with my eight-week program you will learn a self-feeder system that i developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon it's called Rex Do. i need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me um here. okay you'll do come up here bow to your pastor bow to your pastor okay Now, I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now, fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one three hundred dollars seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
0: Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo airs already low prices. Visit Pirate Christian dot com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's Pirate Christian Radio dot com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, Uh, when somebody attacks you personally when you ask a valid question, yeah, they've got a problem and they're trying to evade the uh, content of what it is that you're asking or pointing out. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith, and Pirate Christian Radio, and of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. You know, I, I dove into the program today and really didn't tell you everything that we're going to talk about, so I, I'll i have to tell you a little bit more of what we're going to talk about here, and I'll start with the sermon review. Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is going to be another short one like yesterday, and uh, what I thought I would do is uh, provide a another good sermon uh, that discusses money and wealth and things like that. Yesterday we pay, we, we played Pastor William Swerla talking about the opening verses from Luke chapter sixteen um, about uh, un uh, you know uh, what is it uh, unrighteous mammon. And it, it was that was a, you know, a counterbalance to what we heard on Monday's edition of Fighting for the Faith from uh, Pastor Paul Dejong. Today I'm going to I'm going to play a a great oh man short and I and great and short I, I kid you not sermon by Pastor Jeremy Rohde of uh, Faith Lutheran Church in uh, Capistrano Beach, California, and the name of it is A Letter from Hell. It is a The gospel reading is from Luke chapter 16, the next section that deals with Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I thought it's a perfect complement to yesterday's sermon. So we're going to be doing that today. So today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, again, is going to be shorter. And I'm doing this in part, not just because uh, the, the sermons are good, but also because of the fact that uh, I... I have I put two programs together this week that were three hours long and as I look back you know I've some of the editions of fighting for the faith have been creeping up there in length yeah it, it, somebody emailed me and says Rosebro I know that when you're doing if I take a look at iTunes and it says three hours I know you're doing an in-depth uh, rebuttal to a bad secret driven uh, sermon <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, <clears throat> it's good that I'm so predictable right <laughs> Anyway, so the, uh, kind of working backwards, that's what we're going to uh, talk about. Uh, that's what we're going to do today uh, for the sermon review. And then, uh, man, who? Which do I really want to get to today? You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, really shortly here. I'm gonna play a little bit of uh, stuff from Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley, you know the, the guy, uh, the crazy, whacked out. Bizarro guy who was at the so-called Lakeland Revival a couple of years ago uh, who had to kind of, you know, hang that whole thing up. And the uh, Lakeland Revival came to a grinding halt because, well, (laughs) yeah, he was – he he had fallen – he had no – he no longer loved his wife uh, and uh, had – had the hots for his babysitter and uh, Jessa, his babysitter, has now become his wife. And of course, that whole thing, you know, blew up in his face. But don't worry, Rick Joyner from uh, from is it Morning Star Ministries has you know taken the time to restore Todd Bentley to ministry. And so I I want to play for you a recent uh, segment from a recent preaching teaching. Um, that uh, <clears throat> Todd Bentley uh, gave there at Morning Star, and but before we get to that, yesterday I uh, I I was um, opining regarding that survey that just came out about you know, it, and my take on it is is that 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 Pew Research survey that basically said that Christians don't even know their own faith, like half of Protestants don't even like know the basic tenets of their faith. My claim was, you know, the my interpretation on it that basically means that fifty percent or more of the pastors aren't doing their jobs and they need to be fired. Yeah, that and I'm going to stick to that. You know, I mean, seriously, what other profession, I mean, is somebody paid to do a job that they don't do? I mean, if if I were to hire you, let's say I, you know, that uh I've decided that I'm I'm going to reach out, I'm going to branch out, I'm going to hire somebody who's going to full-time uh try to raise money for Pirate Christian Radio. Now, I'm not by the way, don't send me your resumes. This is not something I'm doing. But um Let's say I decided I was going to hire you to do it, and I you you can work from home, and uh and and you and we I pay your phone bills, provide a computer for you, you know things like that, and and uh, and so we got everything set up, got you trained, and you know you claim that you can go out, you know that you you professionally you know claim that you have the experience necessary to properly raise fund, you know to go out and fundraise for Pirate Christian Radio. I'm thinking this is great, and and then on top of it, you know. Uh, the, I only have to pay you, you know, um, uh, uh well a pretty substantial salary every year but it'd be worth it because i mean because you know let's let's say i'm gonna pay you sixty seventy thousand dollars a year to do this but in return you know we you know the you would end up generating you know three four hundred thousand dollars in revenue to fi- uh, fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio so we can expand our reach and and branch out in the things that we're offering and so it'd be worth it right well let's say that you know a year into this relationship um you weren't Producing anything you know that um that well you know rather than hitting your stated target goal of three hundred thousand dollars a year you you pulled in three four five six thousand, yeah, and the good news is though that you know that helped offset the fifty sixty seventy thousand I was paying you in a salary now in a situation like that um uh, would i be justified in saying listen um this isn't working out i mean i'm paying you this salary so that you would you know raise money for pirate christian radio um and you don't seem to be um producing in fact uh when i look at the balance sheet uh, there's big red numbers I, red numbers are bad you're, you're actually hurting us financially this the ship is sinking we we're we're, we're going to have to throw you overboard and uh, And the person says, "You're just a moron, and uh, you're just a blogger who sits in your in your mommy's basement, and yeah I'm <laughs> sorry, I just couldn't resist sorry, sorry, sorry <clears throat> anyway, and so you know would I be justified in getting rid of the person? Same thing with your pastor. your job has been your your pastor has been tasked with the job of making disciples and shepherding the people in the congregation and teaching them and bringing them up in the faith once delivered to the saints. Right. And who's the one who's tasked them with this job? Well, God is the one don't, in church. Don't we talk about the fact that pastors receive their calling from God? Right. OK, so if your pastor received his calling from God to be your pastor and then he doesn't do his job. um, And, you know, he's not preaching the word. He's not making disciples and the people in his congregation with each passing week that goes by that he's the pastor become Less and less clear, and more and more dumber uh, regarding the basics of the Christian faith. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't the the right thing to do be to you know fire him, trade him to another team? Like I said yesterday, trade him to Islam. I mean, this is the way we fight Islam. We give them all of our worthless pastors. It, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful. I mean, ah, oh, I'm telling you the the elegance of that solution. Anyway. Um, I, I want to read to you a couple of the headlines because this story is getting out all over the world, and I read global newspapers, and uh, the Telegraph in the U.K. has this headline regarding that story. Are you ready? U.S. atheists know more about religion than believers do, survey finds. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, from The Guardian in the UK. Atheists and agnostics know more about religion than Protestants and Catholics. (laughs) Folks, this is really, really, really embarrassing. And the way this is playing out in the media, think about it. Think about it. When the media is saying, hey, listen, we have hard evidence that atheists actually know your faith better than you do. Don't you think that's a problem? Don't you think we might want to consider, like, you know fixing this cuz i mean this is not something we should be proud of yeah this is something we should be ashamed of anyway yeah talking about knowing <laughs> what the faith teaches <laughs> um here is uh, here's Todd Bentley of um morning well he's fresh fire ministries is uh, freshfireusa.com is his uh, website and uh, he, he and uh, he teaches at Rick Joyner's church yeah See, see what you think of this one.
2: I had a dream,
0: a real vivid dream,
2: in which God brought me into John 21. I want to talk
1: about <laughs> What?
0: I had a dream where God brought me into John 21. Really? I mean, I remember when I was growing up. I mean, do you all remember Gumby? I, I, I do they still play those on television? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid I was I, I watched the Gumby program but then again I was growing up in the uh, you know early 70s and 80s. And uh you know so Gumby I think was still you know in syndication on like you know the regular television channels. And uh one of the things Gumby could do he could like walk into a book and um and then you know he'd be in the story. I wonder if that's what he meant, so you know Todd Bentley's kind of like gumby he's he you know God gave him a dream, and he walked into john twenty one the way Gumby walks into a book about it i
2: I want you to see uh what happened when I talked about this dream, and so i'm going to take you here in a moment to our recent greater glory gathering, where I talk about this dream on a, on an afternoon where i I literally I mean, it was so real, it was like I was there. I walked in John 21. What a great story about the harvest, the fishermen, the nets, Peter, his restoration. And I have a call for you. And so watch this uh, clip talking about this dream, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to pray for you. About a week ago or so, I had a dream, a prophetic dream.
0: Is it me, or does it sound like Todd Bentley's starting to get a thick southern accent? Isn't he Canadian? Shouldn't he be saying,
2: like, A? Yeah. And it was a very vivid dream. My dreams don't have a whole lot of room for interpretation because they're more like visions. They're so literal. It's like, wow, I dreamed God talked
0: to me. I... I you know, if I wake up and it's kind of abstract. Now, is he teaching the Bible? No, he's teaching his dreams. That should be a kicker to you. Now, remember the headline from the Guardian in the UK, Atheists and agnostics know more about um, religion than Protestants and Catholics. All
2: over the place, I go, maybe that's pizza, or I'm too exhausted to try to interpret that dream. My, my, my wife has the dream gift. She tries to interpret every single dream. She loves dreaming two or three a night. And I'm like, God, if you're going to encounter me in my dreams, it's got to be some literal stuff. You know, I'm, a, I'm from the movie generation. You're going to have to really, you know, I'm pretty simple. God, I had such a vivid dream. I just knew God was talking to me. I dreamed John 21.
0: Just turn there. I mean, I live. Okay, can I can I point something out here? Um, <clears throat> this this is kind of the obvious, but uh, in case you you're not thinking on the same track, I am. Let me help you out here. Um, didn't the apostle Peter and the apostle John actually live John twenty one? Yeah, they they those guys lived it, and he's now at this point. You know, trying to basically borrow from them and the claim that he's making is since he lived it, since the, you know, since God gave him this dream vision thing that, you know, that he's somehow on par with Peter and John because we'll see now he's actually well lived it too via a dream kind of proxy thing. The Bible passage, I dreamed it. It was like, was like,
2: I went back in time and I was with Peter and John and all the disciples. And this story. And one thing I specifically dreamed was how many
0: fish were in the net. I woke up. Uh, You know, the funny thing is, is that you don't actually have to dream that because... The text says it. Yeah, if you have your Bible, open up over to uh, John chapter 21. Let's just do a little comparative work here. John chapter 21, okay? Um, Verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. The two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Zip, zero, nada, nothing. Uh, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them so that uh, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now I want to point something out here. Why did the apostle John record the story for us? This the, the reason is actually stated in the text. He's he's giving He's citing examples of Jesus appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. John is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. And this is all important because this all validates who Jesus claimed he was being, that that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he would prove his claim by raising himself from the dead. All of this validates that. And the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter and Thomas and the others, they're all eyewitnesses to the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, there's more to this story here. And we read, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is where Peter is restored, because remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. Three times on the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed. Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these, he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because the Lord said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This was said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay. That's what's going on in the story. This story wasn't written for Todd Bentley and Todd Bentley was not there nope Todd Bentley is nowhere mentioned in this text okay but listen to the audacity of what Todd Bentley is saying listen to the audacity of i mean this is just i mean this is breathtakingly bad how dare he speak such blasphemies but let's continue
2: up on my dream And I thought to myself, I got to look at how many fish were in the net. There's something about that number of fish in the net. I came to have breakfast with Rick Joyner and some of the leadership team. And I said, guys, I had this vivid dream. And I was in the harvest and this whole dream about Peter bringing in the net. And I haven't had time to look at it yet, but. I experienced John 21, and there's something about how many fish are in the net.
0: Okay, do you think he really experienced John 21? You're going to find out in just a second that there's no way he did. His own words will prove that he didn't watch.
2: And Rick said, I got up this morning, and I've been writing a commentary on John 21, and I was just writing, Terry, on John 21, And I was just writing before this breakfast on how many fish were in the net and what it means.
0: Yeah, people are going, whoa. I'm going, what? Who cares? The text isn't about you. You really weren't there. And John didn't write this text for you to be like Gumby to pop your head into the story as if you were in there. He's uh, he's inserting himself into John 21. He's inserting himself into the biblical text. So I said, okay, Rick, we got something.
2: And uh, God got my attention. So I want to just look at this story here real quick.
0: And obviously, it's about the harvest. It's about the harvest. No, it's not about the harvest. It's about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the restoration of Peter to being a shepherd of the great, uh, uh, an under shepherd of the great shepherd, Jesus to care for Jesus's flock. And I, I think there's a greater meaning than what I want
2: to share and challenge you with today. But God is speaking to me personally because it is a story of restoration. In fact, John 21 is right after Peter's been restored.
0: He's- oh, really? John 21 is right after? after Peter had been restored. That's odd. I just read John 21 and Peter is restored in John 21. If you had, if God had given you a vision and you were in the story and you saw it like you were there, then you would know that, wouldn't you? You see, There's the catch of the fish. Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. He puts his garments on, jumps out of the boat, and sits down with Jesus, and then Jesus restores him. And what happens is that Peter jumps out of the boat. The other guys, they have to haul in the fish. But you just said that John 21 is after Peter was restored. I thought you had a dream where you were there. Hmm. He's moving in the restoration. And I
2: feel like Peter. You know, Rick and I joke back and forth, he's John, I'm Peter.
0: (sighs) Wow. Wow. How dare you. How dare you equate yourself with the Apostle Peter or with the Apostle John? I I mean, what? I, I, I don't even have words for this kind of blasphemy. Who dares do such a thing? And I said, well, all right, I'll be
2: Peter then. You could be the one that, the disciple in whom the Lord loved. (laughs) But John 21, breakfast by the sea. Starting in the first verse, Jesus shows himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he shows himself to Simon Peter and all the other disciples. We're going to go down. Verse 4, when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said, children, that's kind of intimate. Children, these are growing men, tax collectors and sinners and children. Do you have any food? They answered him, no. And Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast. Now, remember the story earlier. They said, Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. How many of you feel like you've toiled or labored, prayed, fasted, or maybe even given seed, and and it's like producing
0: very little? Given seed is code word for giving money to this man's ministry, and it's produced very little? Yeah, God ain't going to produce nothing when you give it to this guy's ministry, except for wealth in that guy's pocket.
2: That's them. Lord, we we don't got anything. We've toiled. We've labored hard all night and caught nothing. I've been on many fishing trips, and I hate not catching any. And fishing has got to be one of my favorite. Maybe that's why I'm Peter. So they cast.
0: (sighs) Maybe that, oh, my goodness. That's why you're Peter. No, you are not, sir. You are a charlatan a false teacher, a false prophet, and a false apostle.
2: And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. How many of you loved that harvest? Toiled all night, caught nothing, one word from God. Put the net over there. And now they can't, the nets are breaking. They can't even get it in. And I remember the story earlier. They had to call for the other boats to come help them. In fact, it says they signaled to the other boats because the harvest was so great. He said to the other boat, you see, it's not possible for one man to bring in the whole thing. One church, one ministry just cannot bring in the harvest that's coming, the breaking nets.
0: You've got to call. What on earth does this fish miracle have to do with, quote, a coming harvest? This isn't about a harvest. This is about Christ resurrected from the grave, and by the miracle they knew that it was him. It's not about the coming harvest. What are you talking about? For the friends,
2: you've got to call for the laborers. You've got to call for the partners. You're not going to get it done. And the story goes on, the multitude of fish and the number of fish in which they had caught. Verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you've caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land. By himself, he just went from all the guys couldn't pull in the net because it was too mighty, to now Peter. When once he realizes it's the Lord, somehow he goes to the water and goes huh, and hauls in the entire harvest by himself. When just moments earlier. All the guys couldn't get the net in because it was too heavy and the nets were breaking. And then Peter gets the revelation. He goes back and now in supernatural strength, he somehow pulls in the entire harvest. I love that. Harvest. I love that. And then look at this. Verse 11 says, it was full of large fish, 153 fish. That was the number I dreamed. So I asked Rick about it and Bob Jones.
0: Wow, isn't that great that he dreamed? You didn't even need to dream it because the text says 153. We don't need your dream. I can't wait to figure out what he's going to do with this number. I'm I'm sure it'll be just bizarre.
2: About it, And they said, we believe, and I think there's lots of application, but that the 153 represent nations. I don't know if it's sheep nations, goat nations. Sheep nations or goat nations? What? It could be that there's 153 nations that the Lord recognizes, even though man and man's government says we have 200 and something. It may be in the end that...
0: So in in other words, you really have no idea. You're just taking a stab in the dark at this, aren't you? How about this? The text doesn't say anything about the fish being symbolic of anything. Instead, the 153 fish, that's just a large hall that shows the miracle-working power of the resurrected Jesus that points to him as our resurrected Lord and Savior. Yeah, Todd, you didn't dream this. You concocted it. You, quote, dreamed it up. You didn't dream it, sir. And no, you're not, Peter. And no, Rick Joyner is not John. Both of you are blasphemers, false teachers, false prophets with false visions, teaching false doctrine and leading people to hell. And you are the ones leading them there. You're in front of the flock that you're leading to hell. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Christian. We'll be right back. Good sermon review on the other side of the break.
1: you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting
4: for the Faith. This
2: is the air I breathe.
3: This is the air I breathe.
0: Longtime pirate christian radio featured advertiser cheapo air can save you a tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs plus cheapo air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional ten dollars off of cheapo air's already low prices visit pirate forward slash cheap write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today again that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheat all right we're back hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time have another short good sermon to review I'm doing penance for <laughs> for having two episodes of fighting for the faith this week that were three hours plus long. So the idea here is is that brevity is the soul of wit. I mean, I barely have to comment on these. These are so good. And this is a good compliment to yesterday's sermon. Let's uh, cue up the sermon review music here. Ugly. we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via faith lutheran church capistrano beach california that's right down there in orange county in the shadow of saddleback there is a tiny little lutheran congregation that actually is growing rather rapidly from people who are being cast off from saddleback and are tired of the uh, Shallowness of the teaching, there they're heading to Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Pastor uh, Jeremy Rhodey is the one presiding on this sermon. The name of the sermon, by the way, is A Letter from Hell. A Letter from Hell. The text, the gospel text, is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And what I'm going to do here, let me kill the music here. Yesterday's sermon, uh, Pastor uh, Swirla did a good job of actually really weaving the text into his sermon in such a way that if you would missed him reading it, you'd still know what the text exactly said because he taught it in a particular way where you really could see the whole thing itself. Now, Jeremy Rohde does something a little bit different. He takes some artistic liberty, if you would, to really flesh out the meaning of this text, and he does a fantastic job. You know what I mean here as you start to listen to it, but because he doesn't read the text, because the way he preaches it, I'm going to read the text ahead of time so that you know what the gospel text is. So if you have your Bible, flip on over to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I read, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, by the way, keep in mind, this is the thing that follows after the um, the story of the uh, shrewd manager, okay? And then Jesus saying, the one who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. When you've been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches, Okay. This is the story that's kind of like that that immediately in the context follows that. So I apologize. Interrupted myself. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's weird. Sorry, i got to point something out here. Lazarus um, apparently didn't know how to pray sun stand still prayers. I digress. Let me continue. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner he received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Thus, this is the gospel text that makes up the basis of the meditation that you're about to hear. Here is Pastor Jeremy Rody,
4: a letter from hell. My dear brothers, how can I explain this letter to you? How will you believe me that this letter comes to you from the other side? I can only pray to the one whom I've forsaken that it somehow reaches you in time. My brothers, I beg you, each one of you, all five, listen to me as though your lives depend upon it. No, my brothers, listen to me as if your very souls and all eternity depend upon it. For the life that you now live, the security that you now have, it is nothing. It is but the blink of an eye, an eye that does not open, irreversible eternity. When I walked the earth with you, And lived as you now live. I was admired. I was the man everyone aspired to be, distinguished and wealthy. I wore the deepest purples, the finest of linens lay against my skin. I ate well and drank well. I lived a life of luxury. You know me, my brothers. And I tell you the truth. I do not lie. You know that I was a good man, a church-going man. Abraham was in my bosom, and Moses was on my lips. I did not become wealthy through thievery or treachery. I became wealthy and successful through hard work and honest labor. I was a man of virtue and considered myself to be blessed by God. I even sought to bless others. The poor, I allowed to rest at my gate. How often I fed them leftovers from my own table, dear brothers. You yourselves know. All who knew me knew my wealth, but they knew me to be a good man as well. Rich in virtue. In your eyes, dear brothers, In the eyes of all people, dear brothers, I was everything that a good man aspires to be. And this is why I write. For your eyes, dear brothers, betray you. For seeing you do not see. When you see me, even now in your mind's eye, you see a rich man. You see me as a man with many possessions. What you do not see is that those things possessed me. You do not see that the money I held, held me. You do not see that the wine I drank, drank me. You do not see that all the good things I did for others, I did because they were good for me. No, my brothers, living eye for an eye has left you blind. I know of only one man, dear brothers, who could see things as they truly were. One man whose eyes did not lie to him. I met him only once, but I pray that you have come to know his name. He alone saw that the possessions I had possessed me And He alone offered me freedom, true treasures found in Him. He alone saw that the wine I drank had come to drink me, that the food that I had consumed had begun to consume me. And He said to me that He was the vine that is true, the bread that is life. He alone saw my goodness and righteousness, For the filthy rags they really were, and he offered me his own righteousness, saying that he would even lay down his own life. Oh, my brothers, this man has the words of eternal life, but I threw it all away, and I chased him from my home down the path and standing at the gate one of the beggars, a man named Lazarus, looked up at him and said, Lord Jesus, my Savior and my God. And looking straight into my eyes, Jesus said to me, that poor man lying there, Lazarus, he has all that I have. And it will not be long before you see That Lazarus is not so very poor, nor are any who believe in me. And so it was, dear brothers, in the very moment that you were laying my body into the earth, that very moment that hundreds and hundreds had gathered to pay their respects, to sing their eulogies about me, the one man they had known who was truly rich and truly good that very moment, dear brothers, when my life was being celebrated, I was first tasting the ash of hell, crying out for a single drop of water upon my tongue, tormented by what can only be described as flame. Hell is real, dear brothers. Let no one tell you differently. And I lifted up my eyes, And saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus with him there. Lazarus, who once had nothing, nothing but Jesus, now possessed all things. It is even said that Jesus once raised Lazarus from the dead. And it is said that he will raise him again. I begged that Lazarus would dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. But Abraham said these words to me Son, in your lifetime you received your good things, but Lazarus, evil things. Now he is comforted and you are tormented. And so I begged that Abraham would send Lazarus to tell you, my brothers, what I now know too well, so that you yourselves will not come to this place and to this torment. Seeing you do not see, dear brothers. If you did see, then you would not aspire to be rich and successful. You would not aspire to be in the least way what I am. If you did see, you would not raise your children to be as I am. For what did it profit me to gain the whole world when now I am a child of hell? If seeing you would see, then aspire not to be as one who is rich, but aspire to be one who is a beggar, as Lazarus was, and beg for God's mercy and grace in a day that it may be found. If seeing you would see, then look as Lazarus did to the one named Jesus. It is said that just as Jesus once raised Lazarus to life, so Jesus will raise to eternal life all who believe in him. Look to the Lord Jesus And then even if you should find yourself one day lying in the streets, you will still know that he is your Savior. That through him, through his promises, you possess all things. Look to the Lord Jesus. And even if you should find yourselves covered in sores and surrounded by dogs, you will know that he is your resurrection. Your reward comes, for he himself is your reward. What good is it to be rich and successful, dear brothers, to have fine clothing and food, if tonight you will feast on the emptiness of hell? And on the flip side, dear brothers, what trouble is it to have troubles and sufferings today? If this very night you will feast with your Lord in heaven, I asked Abraham, dear brothers, if Lazarus could be sent to preach repentance and Jesus' mercy to you. Abraham refused, said you had Moses and the prophets, said that you would not be persuaded even if someone were to rise from the dead. So it is, dear brothers that I write this desperate letter to you, this letter from hell. For there is one who has died on a cross for your sins, that you may be forgiven by God. There is one who has shed his blood for you, so that you might stand before the judgment seat of God, not as I did. I stood in my own purple robes, scarlet as sins. But you will stand before him clothed in the robes that have been washed white in his blood. There is one who clothes you in goodness and righteousness. And he does it all free of charge. This is he who has risen from the dead once and for all the very same Jesus Christ. He is merciful, even to do what Abraham and Moses and all the prophets could not. And I have it on good authority that the Lord Jesus is allowing this letter from hell to come to you, that you may not come here, to come to you by way of a certain poor man, a fellow beggar of yours. His name's not important, Rhodey, Hodel, Rodal, that's it. So please, brothers, heed this letter when it comes. Repent and receive absolution for your sins. For today, the Lord Jesus has come into your midst. Do not let your eyes deceive you or the cares of this world choke out your faith. For he is there for you now. In all of his abounding mercy, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And seeing, you will see when you look to this Christ. For you may not be clothed in purple, but you are indeed clothed in him. And though you may not feast sumptuously by earthly standards... He has set before you His body as the bread of life, His blood from the living vine. And there is no greater feast than this in all the heavens and all the earth. Desire then with all your hearts to be fed the crumbs from your Lord's rich table here. And though you may not have a great house with a gate, The same Lord Jesus has promised to prepare a place for you, a room in his Father's house. Seeing, you will see, if only your ears receive his words. Hold him to his promises, dear brothers. For the only thing in all of life that truly matters is that there was a certain rich man named Jesus who emptied himself and came down from heaven to tabernacle among us. He emptied himself. He who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich in him. He emptied himself and hungered so that we might be fed. He emptied himself and thirsted so that our thirst might be quenched by him. He emptied himself in his passion and gave his body over to sores, shed his holy blood for the dogs. He lied down outside the gate so that all who die in him might enter his rest, carried there in angels' arms. Dear brothers, all these things he has done for you It is my deepest wish then, dear brothers, that you would never come to this place of torment where I am, for there is no reason to. And if it is true that you will not hear Moses and the prophets, then by all means, hear the one who comes to you from the dead. Hear the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, Your sins are forgiven, it is finished, though you die yet shall you live. To his name, every knee does bend, and every head does bow, in heaven and in hell. Because of him and what he has done for you, my greatest hope then is that I will not see you again. Amen. Wow.
0: That is the second time I've heard that, and it, it packs a greater punch the second time. Holy guacamole. <sighs> I, I can't add anything to that. And I pray the preaching of law and gospel, sin and grace, Christ and him crucified for our sins, would keep you from suffering the same fate as the rich men. May God be glorified through the preaching of his word and the proclamation of the gospel. I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Pick one and fill out the uh, and fill out the forms there online and support us financially. When you join our crew, it's a, you're signing up, it's a commitment every month to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith, and of course, The Donate button allows you to specify the amount that you would like to contribute to our cause. Of course, if you'd like to send in a contribution, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. What'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to email me, is talkback, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Of course, if you would like to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.